Now we're going to read uh, our teaching text for today, which comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. So we have uh, we have all the kids in with us this uh, this morning for our family Sunday. So let's just establish a couple of ground rules right right away. Kids, uh, raise your hands again so I can see where you all are. Fantastic. You're going to have to help me throughout this sermon. Um, I remember being a kid in church and just coloring wildly instead of listening to sermons, which I totally understand. So if you need to color, I get that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to throw some questions out um, for you guys to answer at certain points during the, during the sermon. So if you have an answer, you can just raise your hand um, and we'll let you shout it out. Also, if you have a question while I'm going along, as long as we don't get like a thousand, <laughs> um, then we'll stop and answer questions that, that you have um, until they start holding up the sign with the, the 50 and the flames on the back um, there as far as time goes. So, uh, sound good? All right? Sorry, Tim. This question part is for kids, all right? Um, Just kidding. Do you really have a question? My question is an adult question. Oh. You know what? We'll have all adult questions submitted in writing, cursive preferably, and uh, dropped in the box at the back uh, uh, along with a small tithe or offering. So, so, one of, one of my favorite stories uh, to hear my mother tell when I was a kid, it kind of um, grew into this thing that was very, very important to me, was she would tell the story of how I got, um, you can't be talking, see why I'm talking, because that's going to really mess me up, all right? Um, that's my son, just a little family business. Um, so... Uh, was to hear her tell the story of how I got, how I got the name Caleb. Um, I was going to be called J- uh, James Ralph Clardy III, which is a fantastic name. Maybe they would have called me, you know, Trip or something like that, you know, for the three. Um, or actually, they probably were going to call me J.R., um, which would have inevitably deteriorated into the nickname Junior. Um, but the, I was saved by the television show Dallas. Do you remember the, the TV show Dallas? This was in its heyday, um, and everyone was wondering that at this time who shot JR. And so I was going to be called JR. My mom didn't really want me to be associated with a sleazy TV show like Dallas. And her, her words, not mine if you love that show. Um, 
And so uh, they, were, they were in search of another name. Basically, my dad was going to go with the, 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 the trip. The, the, I was going to be the third unless she, came up with, unless she came up with something. So JR was my destiny until two weeks before I was born, my, my family went to church and they heard a sermon on Caleb. And he's like, you know, this example of biblical espionage. Um, he's sent into, uh, he's sent into the, um, the, the, the land that Israel is meant to take beforehand and comes back with a report. And when 10 of the people say that there's no way we can take this land, there's giants in the land, even though God has promised it to us, we, we shouldn't do it, it's too dangerous. Caleb and Joshua uh, say, no, we can. If God's with us, we'll be all right. And I remember even as a kid hearing that and thinking like, that is a beautiful thing, a, an important thing, a strong thing to try to, 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 try to live into. And uh, my mom, we lived uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, where I grew up. Doesn't have real, it has sort of one foothill, and they call it a mountain. It's called Paris Mountain, and my parents lived on it at the time. And she said when she heard that Caleb chose the mountains, <laughs> um, she said, well, this is kind of a mountain. We'll call you Caleb. Um, and I've gone back to that in my mind so many times that it said Caleb had a different spirit about him that his heart was faithful to God and that he chose um, the, the mountain land. <laughs> and um, there's many, many times in my life where I was like, I'm, I'm not going to live up to the initial um, hope that was in that, that name-giving process. But I'm so glad that it happened that way and that I, that I knew the story. So when it came time that I had my own children, um, I wanted to try similarly to give that type of gift to them. And so um, we named our first son Elijah after this story that we're, that we're, that we're, that we're reading today. Because um, I was in college and uh, had walked away from God for many years. And God had gripped my heart again with his grace and mercy and drawn me back. And the first time I ever spoke in public from the Bible was on this story uh, about Elijah and that question, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of self or the kingdom of the world? I guess we've got our first question. I did set myself up for this. Yes, question. My, my, my question was already. Oh, question was answered already. Humming along. Um, <laughs> And so I had, I had uh, my own son and decided I want to give him this name, that he, he, he would live up to um, the, the name Yahweh is my God and God's word is in my mouth. And um, we know uh, as parents, as people in significant relationships, there are things we want for those that we love, for those um, that, that we care for. We want things for, for them to, to step into, to take hold of. I, I feel like there was some level of an inheritance even depo- deposited in the giving, the giving of, a, of a name. And yet, how do you go from just being an infant child with, you know, just learning the basics of life to step in, stepping into that full inheritance? And... I think there's a, a number of ways. Obviously, we grow and we mature. We learn what it is to be a human being. But I think this story shows us a significant factor in the kingdom of God for going from what you hope for your child, your significant relationships for the world, to those things being realized. And the, and the connective tissue in the kingdom of God so often is intercession. It's learning to be people who pray 
our friends and family and ourselves into the fullness of our inheritance as a people of God. That, that this, this staggering thing happens in the economy of God, in the kingdom of God, is that when, when, you, when you believe the gospel, when you, when you become uh, aware of being a son or daughter of God because of the grace and mercy of what Christ has done on the cross, and, and you're brought into that story, immediately all that, that goes along with being a, fully, a, a, a son or daughter in full good standing, as, as good a standing as the firstborn son in, in first century Israel, all the inheritance is, is coming to you. That is instantly yours. And yet for many of us, our actual day-to-day experience of the spiritual life is something so much less than that. Uh, we, we wonder, do we, we really believe these things? We wonder, like, why it seems so hard to keep our spiritual commitments. We wonder why... Selfishness seems to come more naturally than, than love for us. And how do, we, how do we connect those connective tissues between who God says we are, who he's deposited? The question thing was a mistake. I see that now. <laughs> question, sir. Why are we wondering this stuff? Why are we wondering this stuff? Great question. Um, <laughs> we're wondering this stuff because uh, life is challenging. Life is hard. Sometimes uh, we... we, we um, we want something that's really good and really important, but it takes a long time to actually see it happen. And in that distance between what we want to happen and what actually happens, um, it's sometimes hard to know how to get between those two places. But God's Word has a lot of instructions for us about, about those things. So when you guys, when you kids think about what you want, what, what, what will be a good life, right? The favorite question of adults to kids is, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I want to be multiple professional sports players. It's so realistic. Um, <laughs> how do we get to the place where we say, I'm living a good life? Not just I'm doing the job that I want to do, but, but I have rich, meaningful relationships. I know who I am. God has, has put a deposit in my life, and I'm seeing that thing come, uh, come, come to fruition. And, uh, I got an email from a friend this week that was, he was going on vacation and he's been a tr- part of our church for a long time and he was basically just challenging a couple of us fathers um, that, that, are, that are friends to be more intentional about praying for our kids and he was talking about intercession and if you've been around church for a while you may have heard intercessory prayer is often called standing in the gap. It is uh, standing in the place in between what is promised and what is realized. <laughs> it's... It's, stand, it's standing in the place between what you're longing for in your life and, and what you're actually experiencing. Or perhaps it's standing for, you're standing in the gap between someone's need to connect with God and their own lack of faith. And so you can, God has given us this gift through intercession that we can step in and help bring those worlds together. It's a, it's a tremendous thing. So we're going to look at this very dramatic story. In 1 Kings 18, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the showdown on Mount Carmel. But I want to tell you right from the beginning, uh, you're like, this is just the beginning? Yes. Um, The end is a very simple invitation for our church to return to prayer. We're taking this summer and we're looking at accounts of God reawakening the hearts of his people with, with a, a, a burning desire for himself, a, 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 a revival, an awakening. And a, a, an absolutely key a, a component to that is returning with our hearts 
um, to, to prayer. There are, there are a, a few people who carry, <laughs> they carry the weight of our church in prayer. This, is, this happens in a bunch of different areas. There are people who carry the weight in generosity in our church. There are people who carry the weight um, in, in, in serving. But there are some people who, who literally, they're the ones throwing the coals in the fire, the furnace, that keep our church uh, alive through prayer. And I want to see that group grow this summer. I want to invite you and ask you as a church to take prayer as seriously as you ever have. Not from some religious guilt standpoint, but, but because I think there's a gap between who we are as a people right now and who God has called us to be ultimately. And I think to stand in that gap, to step into it, to see it close, a, a, a fundamental way that's going to happen is through inter- intercession. I, I believe as my children leave now the service, um, that for me as a dad, to see them step into the fullness of who they are as, as, as boys and my, and my daughter is, is going to be intercession. It's pleading over their lives. What are the things that you're pleading with God for? What are the things in your life that if God doesn't show up, it's going to be an utter disaster? This may just feel a little simplistic to you. I know we, uh, we, consider, we consider a lot of mysteries in, in this room together, but I want you just to consider the mystery this morning that God is longing to commune with you and he's inviting you to, to, to close the gap between who he's promised you can be, maybe even who he's named you to be and who you actually are. God's in the business of doing that over and over again. We see him in the story and, and he will literally just change someone's name because they're, they're, they're settling for something so much less than the fullness, the inheritance, the life that he has called uh, that he has called them into. And so my friend's email came to me with this conviction. Yes, I want to be someone who's carving out time to pray for my kids, but I want that to be expanded in our church, not just for those of us who are, who are raising children, but for all of us. To be very honest, what do you want most out of life? How about that for a question for the kids or the adults? What do you want most out of life? Not sure? All right, in this very dramatic story in 1 Kings 18, there's a gap between who Israel was called to be and who they were. And they come to this moment, and it's one of those stories in the Old Testament that's like so fantastic, it's, it's like hard to get your head around this actually happening. But this account of this sort of showdown on Mount Carmel between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, the kind of last remaining prophet of God in this very perilous time, is a story about closing the gap between who Israel is supposed to be. And right, we go all the way back to the covenant God made with Abraham to remember this. God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you. I'm gonna, I want you to follow me even though you don't know where I'm taking you. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to make a nation of you. And through this nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. Right? And so I'm going to be your king. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to show what my character is like to the world through, through Israel. But now we, we find ourselves uh, at the beginning of the story in a place where Israel's kingdom is broken apart into a southern and a northern kingdom. They demanded kings, even though God was their king, and they'd had a string of them. Uh, it started out like pretty bad with Saul, then it got a little better with David and Solomon, and then it sort of fell, utterly fell apart for a long while. And the kingdom is divided. They're, they're not living in their true identity as the people of God. And Elijah, this prophet, sets this show down to demonstrate, can we actually, can we actually trust God to be God? <laughs> 
this series, Revive Us Again, is, is about very honestly, without any hype, asking ourselves the question in the depths of our hearts. Who do we count on to be God in our lives? Who do we rely on with our, with our, our real, the depths of our hopes? Who, who are we counting on to, to make our lives meaningful, full, su- sufficient? This story is, is, is a- answering the question, is it true that only God can be God? You've heard, you've heard me uh, reference this before, but one of my favorite ways of asking this question or, or considering this is a, is a quote from Lewis, um, C.S. Lewis, and I, I'll just throw it up there just to, to help us consider it for a few moments. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up their, on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God, and out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God has made us, invented us like a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol and will not properly run on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Do we really believe that God, that only God can be God? Woo! Amen. All right. Let's wrap it up. All right. Quick, quick little bit of context. It, it, when we come to the, the beginning of 1 Kings 18, it hasn't rained for three years. So the, the nation is in the middle of a natural disaster. There is a, 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 dry, a drought that is threatening their very lives. And Elijah, this, this man of God, this prophet, finds himself in the midst of a natural disaster, and yet he knows that it is something that is a part of God's plan. Now, in so many of the fantastic details of, of these Old Testament stories, it's hard for us to find a dynamic equivalent in, in our lives. But, but we, we've been there, right? Trying to make sense of disasters in our world and not knowing how to put words to it, not knowing what, what to say. And very often, sometimes because of that confusion, just keeping silent. But there, there are disasters in our world, and yet the, the, the biblical testimony is that even though there are disasters in our world, God is still in control, right? This is a little aside, but it's important. We should be extremely cautious about speaking for the reasons for such disasters, right? Especially as people of faith. We should be really cautious about speaking of the reasons for such disasters from God's perspective. But we can learn from how Elijah engages. That very often the, the, the way of moving into our, our, our society and engaging our culture is not going to be a way that we might have initially expected. It's going to require a whole lot of learning to listen to God, to depend on Him, to discern His voice, to know when God is speaking to us, and then to act on the obedience to the voice of God. That's the only way we're going to occupy the space that's not way too far over here to the left or way too far over here to the right. Here's the truth of the scriptures. The narrative of the scriptures boils down to this. When God gave his people written instructions, they could not follow them. When he gave them the propositions of these truths, they could not follow them. We had to have a person, 
Only in a person can you have the complexities represented, not far over here to the left, not far over here to the right, but embodied in a person who is genuinely acting loving. That's why Jesus so often, he shows up in a situation and he blows people's minds by doing the unexpected thing because he's not adhering to an ideology over here or adhering to an ideology over here. He is embodying love together. That's a principle the scripture teaches us over and over again. So Israel was in a, in a three-year drought. It was a natural disaster. Elijah had been interceding. He had been standing in the gap between his nation and God. But the reality is it was also, we come to find out, a spiritual disaster. The, 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 there, there was a connection in some key points between the natural disaster that people were experiencing and the spiritual disaster that was under, underlying it. And I think we can, we can understand that s- t- to some degree. In, in whatever you think about America right now, it's hard not to imagine that we have some level of a spiritual crisis on our hands. How, how will we respond? What, what way forward is there in, in the complex environment that we are, are in the midst of? There are, there are natural disasters and there are spiritual disasters. Basically, what was going on for Israel, just to stir our imaginations, was the very thing God had warned them against when they were first moving into the land that he had given them had taken place. They looked around at all the other nations around them and they became sort of envious of the lifestyle of these other nations. And so they began to adopt their culture. They began to adopt these other gods. We talked about this last week. They began to say, yeah, of course we worship Yahweh. And, and for many of us, our issue isn't do we, do we love God or believe in God? It's that what we add to it. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I follow God, but I also sort of follow the gods of, of the market and I fo- sort of follow the gods of, of my sexual appetites or I, I follow the gods of... of Self. The people of God had begun to worship the gods of their neighbors. And there were prophets of these gods who were basically propagating this, um, these other belief systems. And they were having great success. There were people who were actively trying to get rid of the word of God in, in Israel at this time. And now, so we're in this place of disaster. And Elijah had been in this unique training process with God where he was learning to intercede. He was learning to discern the voice of God. It began with him um, uh, first being led, this homeless prophet lives beside this brook at Kidron and he's fed by ravens. He literally doesn't have what he needs day to day and he's praying and asking and God's, God's delivering it. Then he's traveling around communicating the word of God and he runs into this widow who's literally down, like the drought has been going for three years, this widow who's down to her very last meal And the prophet boldly comes up to her and says, hey, instead of making bread for you and your child before you die, make it for me. And they eat this bread together and like a foretaste of Jesus feeding the 5,000, the bread does not run out, the oil does not run out, and they continue to, to have enough. And so Elijah had been learning to do this, right? Very simply... Here are the elements of what it is to, to grow in a life of prayer. Learn to listen. Learn to listen to God speaking. We're, like the talking part for most of us isn't the hard part. We can, we can vent our heart, vent our soul, but we, we learn to listen, and then we learn to trust the things that we hear, and then we learn to act on those things. And, and very often, we get to know God more and more by stepping across those thresholds of obedience and obeying what we hear him say, rather than intellectually standing still and saying, God, I'm not going to move until you give me clarity. And very often God's saying, come on, we're in a relationship here. I I can't just give you words, I can give you myself. 
Elijah had been trained uh, in listening to God for, for some time now so that he was finally confident for this confrontation. And basically, I'm just going to read this confrontation and then we're going to go to communion. I'm going to make it like, you're like, you don't believe me and that's fine. But I'm just going to make a few little observations um, as, as we go along. I'm going I'm to ask you to do something. We're not going to have the whole story on the screen. I'm going to ask you to turn in your phones or tablets or real paper Bibles. God bless you if you have one. Um, to 1 Kings 18. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 20. If you have the ability to select it, because it's the 90s and you do, choose NIV. We're doing this together, guys. This is a special moment. It's not on the screen. It's not. Oh, my son just said he doesn't have a phone yet. Making his case. Making his case. <laughs> Follow along with a tree there. Can you buy us a phone? Shh! <laughs> All right, we're tracking, guys. It's warm in here, but we love each other. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. This is not ca- caramel, right? On Mount Carmel. And oh. Elijah went before the people and said this question. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The people, we'll just pause for a moment. I'm just going to have us pause a few, a few times here and make a few remarks. The people had drifted into this tr- tremendously confusing place where they were double-minded. Where they, 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 had, they had their foot, as I said before, in the kingdom of, uh, of God to some degree. But they also had their foot in the kingdom of self, in the kingdom of all these other ideologies, all these other uh, uh, r- religious beliefs. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. There had been this systematic removal of the prophets of God by this evil queen Jezebel. And Obadiah, who was a a prophet in the king's court, had saved a hundred of their lives, hiding them in a cave 50 at a time and feeding them. But these men were no longer speaking the word of God. So Elijah is the only one representing the heart of God in this instance. I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us and let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. It's dangerous in a drought, but here we go. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. And call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. He begins the ministry of sarcasm this early on. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and got intense. They slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. 
Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones. Now we, we, we pause for just a second here. Elijah took 12 stones. Now, kids, when you hear the number 12 in the Bible, what do you think about? Not you guys. What do you? <laughs> twelve. What are there twelve of in the Bible? Days of Christmas? Nope. Twelve prophets is a good guess. Yeah. Twelve tribes of Israel from the third row, folks. Let's give it up. So, I mentioned this briefly before, but the kingdom was divided into the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. And so uh, this, this, even in the building of the altar was a prophetic act. Elijah is saying, don't forget who you are. Your minds have been sort of perverted and twisted by this system of, of trying to walk with God and all these other gods. You're forgetting who you are as Israel. You're forgetting the, the covenant that's been made with you. You're forgetting the blessing that you're meant to be inheriting. And so as he built the altar, he, he says, we are the united Israel. And he sets up the 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now this was troubling to me in the three years drought situation, but there is the Mediterranean Sea right there. So that's where they got the water, I think. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered them, and they did it, he did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. Now, another key detail. At the time of the sacrifice, right at the moment when in Jerusalem, the sacrifice would have been being alt, uh, offered as, as, as an atonement for the people's sin. At that moment, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... All of us as a united people, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Israel, I mean, Elijah had been trained in this private ministry of intercession. It had grown his heart with such courage that he steps into this very complex moment in his nation's history. And he calls them for their hearts to be turned back to God by demonstrating that only God is sufficient to be the the king of our lives. That only God can really meet the needs of our our soul in the profound way that that he's, he's inviting us to know him as. That only God can be God. So I just want to put that question to us as Trinity Grace Park Slope. What would it be like to grow into a people, to have a place where we are asking God to be God in our own lives, in our neighborhood, in, in our city? I know it just sounds like that's such a trite, preachery question to ask. Could we pray more? And I'm not asking it for the sake of, of get, putting religious guilt on your shoulders. I'm asking because I'm longing for us to step into more than we are currently experiencing as a people. 
that we would be trained in the place of intercession so that we would have the discernment and courage and ability to step into the complex places of our society and embody the love of the kingdom of God. I don't think we're going to have the capacity to do that. I think we're going to shrink from our moment unless we grow as a church in intercession. Unless we grow as a church in prayer, I think we're going to miss a significant part of our moment of stepping into the complexity of life in Brooklyn in 2016 and saying there's more than what we've been seeing. What would it look like to be a people who make a place to ask God to reveal himself as he really is? Not in some other place, in some other time, in some other story, but now in our time. So here's a few considerations for you as we move to the table, right? You win if you respond to this sermon by praying, right? That's, that's all I'm asking you to do is to act like God is really there, to speak to him like he's really God, and to trust him that he can do the things that his word says he can do. Just very simply to take the first step of returning to God in prayer. And, I, and I'm not speaking this as judgment to our whole church. Many of you may have, have vibrant prayer lives, but my, my guess is that many of you long for more than you're currently tasting and seeing in your life with God. What would it look like this morning just to take a small step of response? And here's a couple questions I want, I want to ask you. Things that you might pray for. Where are places that you have seen your courage drained? Where are places where you know you've been silent or quiet or inactive or apathetic? Where are the places that you've seen your courage drain? For Elijah to stand up and say, fine, forget it. How long are you going to falter between two opinions? Let's just have this out. Let's go to Mount Carmel. We'll do the altar thing. and We'll see which God answers by fire. What what would it take for you in your life to have a a sense of this is burning in my bones. If I don't obey this word from God, then 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 I know I'll be missing out on something significant. Right, and kids, I want you to pay attention to this. Where are places in your life that you need courage? I want you to think about it. Maybe it's like very simple. You think like, I don't like it when my parents shut the light out and leave my room because the dark is scary. Why is the dark scary? Anybody? Just is? That's a good answer. Why is the dark scary? No light? Why is the dark scary? This is a good one. The unknown, I think that's it, right? We don't know. Like when the light's on, you can see things as they really are. When the light's off, you're scared because you don't know what's, what's out there, right? And the same thing is true for you when you're at school. And everyone in your class is, is, is moving in a certain direction or they're wanting to do something. And you know there's this little thing in your heart. You're like, I know that's not the right thing to do. And it takes courage because there's an unknown element. If if I speak up here or if I do what's different from the rest of the group, there's a chance that I'm going to have embarrassment for that or people will speak meanly about about me for that, right? We have that as kids. We have that as grown-ups as well. Where are the places in your life where you felt your courage drain and you want to ask God to return it? The promise of this very dramatic story in 1 Kings 18 is that God will reveal himself as God. He has staked his integrity on this reality. If you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. There are very few guarantees in the world that are, are, are that magnificent. If you seek God in prayer with your whole heart in the name of Jesus, he will be found by you. He will reveal himself as God to you. So a very simple question. Can we be a people of prayer? Thank you.
Fantastic. I got a yes from the front row. Israel was losing their distinctive identity because they had been involved in religious activity without a heart connection to God himself. I don't want to lose my own identity as a follower of Jesus or to have it so smothered by other activities because I've lost my just simple ability to talk and listen to God. I want to invite, like, it's the summertime, right? I know we have, we have a, a month before the, 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 the sort of gears of our city change and we move into the fall season. What if we took this next month and we begin to pray like we never have before as a church community? We're about to install some deacons in our church, and one of those groups of deacons are deacons for prayer. And what those people are going to do is they're, they're going to be pleading, they're, they're already pleading with God before our services. There are the, the people praying in, in men's and women's prayer groups and nights that are just dedicated to get together and hear from God. Uh, it's the people who, who will organize and pray over our times of response after the service. I, I think these, these prayer deacons are going to help shoulder a significant load in the life of our church in a way that's so needed. Because here's the question, Trinity Grace Park Slope, are, are we going to just sort of falter between two opinions? Are, are we going to, <laughs> keep getting, I love the response from the front row here. Are, are we going to, to, to just be about religious activity because it's a nice addition to our lives and, and God as life coach really works for us? Or are we going to abide with him so that he can bear the complex fruit that's necessary for our world in this time? It's really significant that Elijah calls out to God to, to, to show himself as God. At the time of sacrifice. At the time when the atonement was being made. Because in the Ark of the Scriptures it says that when Jesus comes, that he is the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. That he's the full expression of what God is like. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And that in this unbelievably significant moment where Jesus is on the cross, he's demonstrating the extravagant love of God for us. So the, the author of Romans says, if he gives us his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? So it's really significant that Elijah begins praying to God at the time of the sacrifice. Hebrews 10 is a bit of a commentary on this, looking forward in the Ark of the Scriptures. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All the sacrifices before were a picture, a fragment, a vapor of what was to come. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, I'm just going to pause there for a moment. I know I keep pausing, but you have access to intimacy with God that, that cannot and will not be denied because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, it says Jesus is interceding for us. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. If I have any prayer for us as a church, this is it. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. When I'm inviting us into a prayer life, I'm not, I'm not believing that we're just going to dial up our own faithfulness. <laughs> there'll be, there'll be, I, I think that we can mature in that, but I think our invitation is to count on the faithfulness of God, to count on he who promised is faithful. 
If he gave us his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? So simply, this is an invitation to a return to prayer for Trinity Grace Park Slope. And if you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you, I want to ask you to respond in the positive, not out of guilt, but because such extravagant love has been shown to you and you have access with confidence to that most holy place. Elijah does some bananas things. Right after this, he's like, okay, it's about to start raining. And Ahab's like, what? He's like, go get to your chariot and run to back to the castle. Get back to the castle. And Elijah goes and he stands on the mountain and he prays. And he, he prays and he looks seven times and he says, is, is it raining yet? Is it raining yet? It's like you're standing there praying for someone's arm and they're like, is it better yet? Is it better yet? He keeps praying for rain and it doesn't come seven times, right? After all this fire from heaven, the whole deal, it still doesn't come. Finally, it starts raining. My favorite part of the whole story is it's pouring rain. Ahab's already left in the chariot. And it says Elijah gathered up his robes and sprinted ahead. And he like beats Ahab to the castle. My favorite part of the story. Uh, (laughs) Prophetic speed. We know when we, come, when we come to prayer, it's not going to be that God immediately answers always exactly as we want, right? Because we're not, it's just not about pulling the lever and God delivering our desires. It's about entering into a relationship. So sometimes you're going to be asking God for something. It's going to seem delayed, and then your heart's going to change so you stop asking for the same thing because of the intimacy of a relationship. You know, actually, I don't want this the same way I wanted it before because I'm not just pulling a lever. I'm asking God to be my father, to be my king, to be my very life. And from that, we get the discernment of how to step into the complexities of our life. Let me pray for us. And many of us are, are going to respond by praying to God as we continue worshiping. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. That may not be a trite thing in our minds or something we've just heard so much that we lose the emotional weight of it that you would so extravagantly pour your life out for us and then invite us in confidence to call out to you. I pray for Trinity Grace Park Slope that we would have the spirit of Elijah, that we would cry out to you with great confidence, that we would allow you to be God as you really are in our lives. And I pray that you would answer. You would answer in ways that show us how to engage our world in these complex times. We need your help literally at every level. I pray very simply this morning that many of us would make a commitment to seek you in prayer like we haven't before. And then you would help us in your grace to walk that out together. In the name of Jesus, show us how to respond. Amen.